Just good to see you here tonight. We're here to worship the Lord. I'm going to pray for us uh, one more time just for the message tonight and just for God to give us ears to hear. Amen. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. God, we thank you, Lord, that we can open up the Bible and open up the Word of God and you can speak to us. You said it's the spirit that quickeneth, quickeneth the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, their spirit and their life. Now, I thank you, Lord, for your living word. God, speak to us. Lord, we pray you be with those in our church that are sick, whether they're here tonight or not here. We ask God and pray that you would touch them and heal their bodies and raise them up, Lord. We pray that you would be with uh, Diane as she travels, Lord, and as she's ministering in that way, God, in Dallas, that you would protect her, that you would use her, God. Thank you for opening that door for her. We pray for Operation Christmas Child as the the gifts are going out, and as the workers are going out, and as the gospel is going out, that it would fall on good soil and bring forth fruit unto salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, y'all, last week Alberto preached. It was a blessing. I thank the Lord for it. But uh, we're going to get back to our study in Philippians. So if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. I'm in no rush. I just, this is just, uh, we're going to take our time, especially in this particular passage that we're in. We're talking about uh, the humility of Christ and how he humbled himself and became a man and died on a cross for our sins. Amen. That's not something you want to rush through. Perfect that we're talking about it here at Christmas time. And I want you, if you would, would read with me, uh, chapter 2 of Philippians, we'll start in verse 5 and we'll read through verse 8. So let's read this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, two weeks ago when we started this passage, uh, we covered verses 5 and 6, so I'm not going to really go back over that. We're really going to focus on verses 7 and 8 tonight. But I want to read a, a little commentary from F.B. Meyer that I was reading on this, this entire passage. This passage, what I, what I call this passage is verse 5 through 11. Verses 5 through 11. It talks about his humiliation and then his exaltation. Amen. And this is what F.B. Meyer says. He says... Uh, where the cross, the, the, that the Apostle Paul brings us to the place, spiritually, I guess you would say, to where the cross stood, and then ask us to measure the vast descent of the Son of God as he came down to help us. So the whole thought is, is, is mind-boggling to me that God would step down, step down. Remember our study on... On the life of Moses. We spent a long time studying through the life of Moses. And one of the things that's notable about his life <coughs> was that he was, he was a ruler. Uh, historians say he was a, a, an orator, even though he was slow of speech, and that he was like a war hero in Egypt before and in, in Pharaoh's house and next in line to be. Uh, a lot of people think next in line to be Pharaoh, and he stepped down. He stepped down. 
to be a shepherd. And, and that, that stepping down is a willing thing. It's something he willingly did. And he became God's shepherd or the shepherd of Israel and the lawgiver. And God used him. That's another type and shadow of Christ, just in that, in that way. And so we're, we're asked, F.B. Meyer says, to measure the dis- vast descent of the Son of God as he came down to help us. Mark the steps. He was in the form of God. That, it, that, it, that is, as much God as he was afterward, a servant. Being in the form of God, he took the form of a servant. Uh, he did not grasp an equality with God, for it was already his. That's that phrase where it says he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. It was already his. So he didn't feel like it was something uh, that he had acquired unlawfully, I guess you would say. He emptied himself. He refused to avail himself of the use of his divine attributes that he might teach the meaning of absolute dependence on the Father. He obeyed as a servant the laws which had their source in himself. He became a man, a humble man, a dying man, a crucified man. He lay in the grave, but the meaning of his descent was that of his ascent. And to all his illustrious names is now added the name of Jesus the Savior. He has all these other names, the Son of God and, you know, the uh, Emmanuel and all these things. But now, because of his first coming, we can add the title Savior. And this is to be our model. Don't forget in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, our example. Christ is our example. He is more than our example, but he is our example. Amen. And this mind must be in us. And in the proportion that we become humble and in the proportion that we as believers become crucified believers, we in our small measure are going to attain the power and blessing of saving men, so to speak, or bringing men to Christ. And so I just thought that was a good synopsis of the whole passage. But I really want to break down verses 7 and 8 today, uh, tonight. So he says, he made himself, in verse 7, of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. No reputation means, literally, means to empty, to abase, to make of none effect. And that seems like the opposite of what we would think God would be. But it's, it is in Christ, and that's the mind that's to be in us, and it is God's way. We did that whole series on, on the cross in the life of the believer, the crucified life. Not just cr- crucified at, that Jesus died on the cross, not just that he paid the price for our sins, but as a believer, that we would live dead to self. Amen? Dead to the world, dead to self, dead to the flesh, dead to sin, dead to men's opinions of us, and so forth. And to the extent that you and I by the grace of God and by the working of the Holy Spirit, die to ourselves, that is the extent that the Lord Jesus can live through us and be glorified through our lives. It was as Moses died in that descent and made himself of no reputation, he literally went from being royalty in Egypt to being a shepherd of sheep, real sheep, out there sweating in the desert, you know, making sure the sheep were taken care of. That's a descent, and then it was to that extent, after 40 years of his life, 
in the desert that God could say, I've seen the affliction of my people and I've come to deliver them. Moses, I want you to go. And he was a vessel dead to himself. Not perfect like Jesus, but dead to himself. And so we see that picture, okay? And he wasn't humbled. I know I say this often. He wasn't humbled. Like I said, you got two, two boxers in the ring. And one's boasting about how he's going to destroy the other one. And the one that was boasting when the fight's over, he got his tail whipped. He was humbled, right? He was humbled. Jesus wasn't humbled. He humbled himself. And there is a difference. He made himself of no reputation. And that's that word in the Greek, uh, uh, kenosis, that we've talked about the last few weeks. And it simply means self-emptying. That is a doctrine of Christ. I mean, of the Bible. Self-emptying. It was a self-imposed humiliation. He was fully man. And he was fully God. It's hard for us to grasp it. And apart from the word of God telling us it's so, and apart from the Holy Spirit giving us the faith to believe and latch on to that, it would be impossible to, to grasp it. We grasp it to the extent that, as I said, the word of God says and the Holy Spirit reveals to us. But he was fully man and he was fully God. Amen. And he lived, and I've heard this phrase before, I believe it. He never ceased to be God, but he lived as an obedient, spirit-filled man. Okay, that's not blasphemous. I'm saying he was fully God. He did not set aside his deity, okay? He was fully God, but he lived as an obedient, spirit-filled man. That's how he lived his life. Uh, and I want to read a few verses. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Because we're going to read three verses there and kind of skip around. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. Well, we see it right there, okay? Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan. It was at the Jordan River at the baptism of John where the Holy Spirit descended upon him and abode upon him and remained, the Bible says. He, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's, he's living as a Spirit-filled man. Perfect, sinless, okay? Still completely God, but this was part of our salvation, was his uh, incarnation, Okay, in the flesh. And he, so he was led by the Spirit. Let's skip down to verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. That was after his temptation in the wilderness where he was tempted 40 days. The Bible says he was hungry. He was living as a man, an obedient, Spirit-filled man. Still God, though. He returned to the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. Skip down to verse 18. He's in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He's quoting from Isaiah. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He's the fulfillment of what he's reading. To preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. So three, three verses just right there in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord, him being full of the Spirit, filled with the Holy Ghost, being led by the Spirit of God, 
And this is how he lives. So please don't leave her thinking I'm, I'm preaching or teaching some strange new doctrine that Jesus, when he was on earth, wasn't God. He was fully God. I'm saying how he lived day by day, what his life was like. You understand what I'm saying? He, he ate real food like us. He got sleepy. He got tired. He got hungry. If he got the crown of thorns, it hurt his head. You understand what I'm saying? The, the, he lived as a spirit-filled man by his choice, though he was still fully God. He could call himself the son of man and call himself the son of God, and he was fully both. So we just have to lay hold on it, as I said, by faith. I want to read this from, from Hebrews chapter 2. I've got several verses I'm going to read or quote tonight. Hebrews 2, 16 and 17. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. So in his carnation, he did take on some other nature, but he still has the divine nature of who he eternally was and is. He took not on him the nature of angels, but he took, took on him the seed of Abraham. I think it's interesting how the Bible, and I never, never really thought of it till just studying for this, doesn't say the seed of Adam. It says it took on, he took on him the seed of Abraham, child of the promise and faith and so forth. Uh, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Made. You see, there, there's something that's mysterious in the the word becoming flesh, that he might be. This is why he did it. It behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Y'all, this is doctrine. To me, it's not boring. To me, it's exciting. When I really say, okay, that's more clear to me. I understand that better. I see it very clearly in Scripture. It makes me firm or more firm in my beliefs that I believe to study the scriptures, actually turn to them, to read them, to take the time and study. OK, we know that you've read through Hebrews a thousand times. But he says right here, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Amen. To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Why did the word became flesh? become flesh. It was ultimately for the cross, that he would die as lambs had died in the past. They were offered up for, for sins as the Lamb of God. How could God die? Well, he, God, you can't say that God did die, but God in, in the flesh, Jesus Christ, is a mystery there. In Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, he died. Okay? He died. And so, uh, this is why he did it. And the eternal son of God humbled himself in order to purchase our redemption. It ought to make us thankful. It ought to make us grateful. Our eternal redemption. You have to say this is a strange thing. It's a curious thing that the son of God, that almighty God would do this. But he did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for our benefit. He stepped down from heaven and was born basically in a sheep barn. Not in a hospital, not in a palace, not in a, a nice luxurious hotel room, in a, in a sheep barn and in the little feeding trough, the manger where his body was lay. He stepped down 
And he spent most of his life in obscurity. Certainly he was known to God and, and his father and so forth. But he spent most of his life in obscurity as a carpenter. As a son of a carpenter, as a carpenter himself. He took upon him, the Bible says, the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Those words are important. In the form of a servant and the likeness of man. Okay? So that's important as well. That's in the passage in Philippians that we're reading. And, and also it's important to note, he, he was made in the likeness of men, but not sinful man. He wasn't made in the likeness of any particular man. He doesn't say made in the likeness of man. He said make, made in the likeness of men. Okay? He was made in the likeness of men. And not the nature of Adam. There's nothing about Adam that had anything to do with Jesus. That which was conceived in the Virgin Mary was of the Holy Ghost. That was it. There was no seed of Adam. There was no nature of Adam. There's no bloodline of Adam. There's no sin of Adam. There's no sin nature of Adam. Nothing from Adam in Jesus, though he was fully a man. Took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, but not sinful man. Okay, likeness means similarity. This is actually what the word means. Likeness means similarity, but not sameness. So when he's made in the likeness of men, it means just what it says. In the similarity of men, but not sameness as men. No man's ever been God. Amen. He was God in the flesh. I want to read this, and I know you know the passage, a whole long chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, where it talks about the resurrection and it talks about the resurrected bodies that we're going to have and the glorified bodies and the rapture and this eternal put on incorruption. There's a passage there in, in 1 Corinthians 15, two verses. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, he was the first man, was made a living soul. The last Adam, that's Jesus, okay? He's called the last Adam. He's a different Adam altogether. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. So the first Adam was made a living soul. God formed him out of the dust of the, of the earth, breathed in his nostrils, and man became a living soul. That's what it says. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, uh, conceived of the Holy Ghost, was made a quickening spirit. There's a difference. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Hallelujah. That second man, we call him man. He calls himself man. Had a human body, but nothing to do with that first Adam. The sense that he, other than he came to redeem the sons of Adam. Amen. For his great love. But he had no part in his in that Adamic nature at all. And he... Uh, he became a servant. So I want to talk about that for just a moment. He became a servant. Servant is the, the lowest on the, the totem pole as far as occupations and walks of life and, and class and society so forth. Uh, a servant. He became a servant. Of all things he could have become, it's, he became a servant. And who did he serve is the question. Well, he served his father. Number one, first and foremost, always and only. He did not serve every whim of man, but he served men. He served men as led by his father. 
So he didn't just come like a humanitarian would do. Say, I'm just giving myself to humanity. People do that, you know. They, they, maybe it relieves their conscience. Maybe they feel like that, I don't know, makes them feel good or whatever. But people will give themselves simply to human beings. We ought to give ourselves to God as living sacrifices and then see how he uses us in the lives of men. Christ is our example. Let this mind be in you. So who did he serve? He took upon the form of a servant, but he just didn't go run around the earth saying, uh, who's poor, who's sick, who's, who's uh, downcast, who's depressed, whose family doesn't love him, who, who's, and let me go help him, let me go help him. He's, he's sent to preach the gospel, he's to, to heal the brokenhearted. He came to be the way, the truth, and the life that men may come to the Father but by him. He came to give his life a ransom for all to be testified of in due time. He came to seek and save the lost. That's the greatest service to men that ever could be. In so doing, he showed, uh, I guess, huge amounts of, of compassion and kindness. He did feed the hungry. He did heal the sick. He did open the blinded eyes. He did forgive the woman caught in adultery and didn't condemn her. He showed the compassion of God to men. But he came to save the lost. He was not a humanitarian in that sense. He was the son of God and the son of man. And that mind is to be the mind that is in us. Amen. And so he took upon the, in the form of a servant. He served his father foremost. And in so doing, he served men at the bidding of his father. There was no conflict between the two. You know, you heard that, that term conflicted. I'm conflicted. Jesus wasn't conflicted. He served men fully as led by his father. He probably did not feed every hungry, hungry person in Galilee or Nazareth or Jerusalem or Bethlehem or, or Capernaum or the different places that he walked. He did what he fought his father led him to do. He demonstrated the love of his father for men. Amen. So I want to read this from Luke 22, 27. Uh, some will turn to this one. I'm just going to read. For whether is greater, Jesus said, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth is not he that sitteth at meat. He's saying greater, but I am among you as he that serveth. So he wants this. Is, this isn't just little isolated things. This is doctrine. We're building doctrine. We're seeing a picture and a portrait here. So if somebody comes up and preaches like Paul said to the Corinthians, another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. Well, here's one way we can tell about the Jesus of the Bible. He was 100% God and 100% man. It's a mystery. Just accept it by faith. It's what the Word of God teaches. But we're studying it, okay? And he was a servant at his first coming. The second time he comes, which is the one, the coming we're looking for, after the rapture and at the end of the tribulation, when the Son of Man returns, uh, he's not coming as a suffering servant. He's coming to reign and to rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's coming on a white horse and a sword's going out of his mouth and he's going to destroy uh, the enemies of Christ and those that are aligned with Antichrist against Jerusalem. And he's going to establish a kingdom. But at his first coming, this is how he came. He took on in the form of a servant. And as believers, we're saved, we're born again, we are to be willing servants of the Lord. Again, this is not mystery, a mystery, this is nothing new, but we are to be willing servants of the Lord. Servants of the Lord. 
John uh, 13, 4. He riseth, riseth up from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself, and says, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. It's not just a touching story. He's telling us, I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. If you know these things, we know them. Happy are ye if you do them. This is the teaching. First, to exalt Christ, to see how he willingly humbled himself, and to say, this is how you're to be, believers. Everybody that's been washed in the blood of Jesus and born again, this is how you're to live. We're at whatever walk of life he's put us in, that's what we're to do. We're to be servants, to take upon us the form of a servant. If I, for I've given you an example that you should do as I have done. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. You want to be happy? I just don't have happiness. I'm a Christian, but I'm not happy. Most of the time I'm down. Most of the time I'm depressed. He's saying, do the things he's called us to do. Pray for a servant's heart and then serve in the name of Jesus. I'm preaching to myself. You want to be happy? Serve in the name of Jesus. Serve in your church. Serve to lost people. Serve to rich people. Serve poor people. Serve whoever God puts, leads you and directs you. Be led by his spirit. But already be resigned and resolved that I'm a servant. As long as I'm on this earth, I'm not a king, so to speak. I'm a servant. I'm functioning that way. We're, we're kings and royalty, a royal priesthood with Jesus. But on this earth, we're serving like Jesus who washed his disciples' feet. And says, you're, you're going to be happy if you do this. We're going to be happy if we do that. Hallelujah. So his deity was veiled. How was the Lord's deity veiled? It was veiled in clay. It was veiled in a human body. Right? So still God, but it was veiled. I think it's a good term as I was studying that was used. God is still 100% God, but he's veiled, so to speak. Everybody didn't recognize him as being God, right? Most people did not recognize him as being God. But his, his deity was still there, but it was veiled. There was no moment of his earthly life. And I know these, just let these things sink, sink in. There was no moment of Jesus' earthly life when he ceased to be God. So when Bill Johnson at Bethel Church in Redding, California, writes in his book, and I'm sure preaches in his sermons, that Jesus was not divine, that he was not God in the flesh, that he was not deity, he was only a man in right standing with God. That's not true. So let this stuff sink in, the truth of what we're studying. Not because I'm saying it, but because that's thus saith the scriptures, right? Let it sink in so that we know and we're able to not be confused and our heads spinning. We're sitting around with other believers and, hey, well, this guy's believes this and look how many people are his church or whatever don't be fooled by that kind of stuff just stay with the basics of of the truth of god's word amen as taught by the word of god is taught by the holy spirit the bible says and and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us already established in john chapter one that the word was with god and the word was god okay in the beginning with god and then a few verses later, and the word was made flesh 
and dwelt among us. That's that uh, God in the flesh, that is uh, the deity of Christ, the incarnation of Christ on this earth. But there was no point on his earthly life, life that he ceased to be God, but there was a definite point that he became man. Does that make sense? He never ceased to be God, but there was a definite moment when he became man. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, amen? We celebrate that with the Lord Jesus Christ at Christmas and his birth. And so we're, he stripped himself of his expression of deity, but not his possession of deity. I'm going to read it again because it's such a good quote. I wish I'd have thought it up. He, cl- he was clothed with humility. He says he stripped himself of his expression of deity, but not his possession of deity. He was clothed with humility. He emptied himself that he might fill us. Emptied himself that he might fill us. Adam aspired to be like God. Christ condescended to be like man. Adam aspired to be like God. Remember that was the temptation in the garden with Eve, right? When Eve saw that the fruit was pleasant to the eyes and and you know, something that was good to eat and a tree to be made uh, to make one wise. She took an ate and gave it to her husband and he ate. He aspired to be like God. That was the, the hook line uh, that the serpent fed to Eve. Christ condescended willingly to be like man. And through his becoming flesh, he manifested himself as an obedient servant. Okay? I know I'm spending a lot of time on this. I think it's worth Spending a lot of time on this. And I want you to look at the next verse in Philippians 2.8. And being found in fashion as a man. So we've already been told he, he, he uh, took on the form of a servant, made in the likeness of men. And then verse 8, being found in fashion as a man. These words are in the Bible for a reason. I think it's very, we, we've laid it out there very clearly. Found in fashion as a, as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So the found, found in fashion as a man, uh, one commentary I was studying said it's actually a, the difference between what Jesus is and was in himself and what, men, what he appeared to be to men. The difference was what he really was when he walked this earth and who he is and who he's always been, that's almighty God. We've established that Jesus was God. Jesus is God. Every bit God is much God as the father and the Holy spirit. And he never ceased to be. But the difference when he took the found in fashion as a man, the difference was what he was in himself, almighty God and what he appeared to men to be. Isn't this Joseph? Isn't this, uh, Joseph's son, the carpenter's son, aren't his brothers and sisters here with him? And they were offended at him. He appeared to men whose eyes were shut spiritually. He appeared to men to be a carpenter, um, just a man like Joe and Bob and everybody else that lived in the neighborhood. Okay? Nothing different in his physical thing or how he spoke or, or things like that. And so... He was, he took, he took a, was found in fashion as a man. He voluntarily humbled himself for us. He became obedient. 
Obedience is the mark of a true servant. If you're going to say who's the best servant of all, anybody that has servants would have to say it's the one that does what I tell them to do. It's the one that I can trust to do what I told them to do. It's the one that I, t- that I can trust to be there on time to do what I've told him to do because he's my servant. He's my servant. Okay? And Jesus became obedient uh, as a servant. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles and let's, let's look at this at Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Let's read verses 8 and 9. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. He learned obedience. He learned obedience. Men learn obedience. We learn. Or we can just continue to be disobedient and rebel. You know, we don't learn. Jesus has shown us how this is the mind that's to be in us, which was in Christ Jesus. Though he were a son, remember, but he took on in the form of a servant. He, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, perfect there doesn't mean he was imperfect before, Perfect there means a fullness or completion, a fullness of co- or completion of his ministry, his earthly life, and everything that he was called to do on this earth. That's what that means. It's not like he was imperfect and sinful and then became perfect. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Amen? To all them that obey him. We obey the gospel. We, we are obedient in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's how we're saved. But it's just amazing to me. That's, again, the mark of a true servant and the mark of a faithful servant is the ones obedient. And Jesus specifically, and you could turn back to Philippians 2, he wasn't just obedient, 90% obedient or very obedient or more obedient than other servants. It says he became obedient unto death, unto death. And so you could say he was obedient all the way to the very end, just all the way. If you looked at my life, looked at your life, looked at Moses' life, looked at other people that love the Lord or saved and are serving God and are serious about walking with God, the best of the best of them, Paul, whoever you might find, there, there's some point in their life, even after they were saved, they still failed the Lord at some point. And had to be forgiven and cleansed and, and move on. But Jesus was obedient all the way to death. He didn't go so far and then no further. He went all the way to Calvary. Amen? All the way to Calvary. Obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. I read this, that we're, when slaves were executed, the execution, let's say for, for whatever crime they committed of a slave, if they were executed, they were crucified. That's how they were killed. And so Jesus was like a slave. He was a servant, took on the form of a servant, and he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The cross, and I'll be bringing this to a close, is the most shameful form of execution that was present, that was in existence, okay, the cross. Uh, It was a form of execution. Men were 
uh, our people were nailed to the cross. Sometimes they were nailed and tied to the cross. And sometimes the, the person on the cross being executed might not die for a long period of time. Some say even days. And usually their strength would give out. And I know that you've heard this. And it wasn't necessarily the blood loss or the pain from the nails. It would have been the uh, suffocation of not being able to breathe. Most everybody concurs with that because you have to push up to take a breath. Then you kind of slump back down. And when you slump back down, there's a, a, a impinging on your lungs and can't breathe. And so as long as they got some strength and can keep raising up and breathing, uh, they're living. But finally, that strength wears out. And so it was not a quick form. It wasn't, wasn't like beheading or an electric chair or something like this. But Jesus, just, just to note this, Christ died very quickly. Remember, Pilate was amazed. Is he already dead? When they came asking for his body, is he already dead? Um, because he laid down his life. No man took it from him. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. This commandment I have received of my father. You have no authority or power over me, he told Pilate. He, this was a willing thing, all the way willing. Men played parts in it, like Pilate and, and Herod, describes and so forth, and the Roman soldiers mocking him and nailing him to the cross. But this was all his doing. Salvation is of the Lord, amen? This was Jesus through and through his will. And uh, he prayed to the Father, it says, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He prayed and then he died. They were amazed he died that soon. But he prayed and he died. Why? Because he gave up the ghost. He gave up the ghost. And he actually became a curse for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Because the Bible says Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. He was made that. You know, it's like he was made in the likeness of man. He wasn't a curse. But he was made a curse for, for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Well, he hung on a tree. Amen. Hung on a tree for you and me. Adam was disobedient unto death. Christ, the Lord, was obedient unto death. Big difference. Big difference in what it means to us. That believe. Amen. And I want to close with this. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would. And well, this will be our last verse that we'll read. And Chris, if you don't mind coming up, maybe just uh, you can you can play play as we open the altar. But Romans chapter five. This whole chapter deals with it, but I want us to read 17 through 19. Romans 5, 17. For if by one man's offense. Death reigned by one, that's Adam. The contrast and compare is between Adam and Christ. The first Adam, the second Adam. For if by one man's offense, death reigned. How would you like that to be your legacy? I, what, what did I leave the world? I left death. Death passed upon all men, all living creatures. That's your legacy, Adam. Okay? I'm not saying I would be any better. Putting his, his shoes, I would have... Obviously, uh, I think he, he was a representative of humanity, okay? If by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more 
they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. That's the other one. Amen. That's the other Adam, so to speak. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, their free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This ought to get us excited about knowing Jesus. It ought to get us excited and thankful about Christmas and, and what the Lord did for us in his birth and his coming in his flesh. It's not just sentimental. It was needful. This is God's plan. This is the way it was fulfilled from the foundation of the world. The lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. He had to become a man in order to die on the cross. He had to be perfected or completed through learning obedience as an obedient, spirit-filled man. The perfect example and the perfect sinless lamb of God, amen, who died for our sins. That's over now. It is, it is historical. It is it's complete. It's finished. That's what the Lord says. Amen. I want you all to stand with me tonight. I know we went into great detail. I think it's, it's worthy of great detail. And we'll continue next week where we're going to talk about he was obedient unto death, a servant all the way down. We're going to look next week at his exaltation. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him. Amen. Giving him a name above every name. Father, we bless you tonight. All the altars open, you come. We bless you, Lord. We want to take some time, some moment to take the word that we've heard tonight, God. Even if it's just to come to the altars, to fall on our knees and lift our hands to heaven and say, thank you. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for giving me understanding by faith. Thank you for the scriptures to back up this truth, which we know to be true. Thank you, Lord, for doing it for me. Thank you for doing it for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Thank you that you uh, made us righteous. We don't have, we've been given the new nature, and nature of Christ. And Lord, we're born again. And Lord, we want to praise you and thank you tonight in this house. We at Cornerstone, we want to be a people that understands what you did for us, God. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Give us understanding, Lord. Help us not to be forgetful hearers, God, but to hang on to these truths and be changed, that we would become servants. Because, Lord, you said happy are we if we do them. We know that we're to be a servant, but you said happy are we if we use and allow Christ to be our example. And by the grace of God and by the Spirit who indwells us, we would actually be servants to God and servants to men, God. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.